How good is Australia? This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Decode, the Pursuit Advocates' new political podcast series. I'm Wendell Hussey. I'm Miffy Bateman. And it's great to be with you again. Now, there's obviously a lot going on in the world, but we're staying on course here at Decode and we're having a crack at trying to unpick another element of our political system, trying to untangle a 20-metre extension cord that's been in the back of your boss's ute for a couple of weeks. And it's got a little bit of a construction feel this episode because we're going to be trying to decode the unions, the trade unions, the union movement, you might hear it as. So despite what it looks like in the media sometimes, the unions aren't just a group of blokes with sleeves who drive Ford Raptors or what I've priorly known about the union, Billy Elliot, the uh, the mine yes. workers. Yeah, there's a little bit more to it. There's a whole range of unions as well, from your teachers' union to your constructions' union, all the way to the breweries and bottle yards employees' industrial union of Western Australia. Most unions are affiliated with the Australian Labor Party. Some go harder on pushing national political agendas and influencing policy like construction, forestry, maritime, mining and energy union, a.k.a. the CFMEU. CFMEU are particularly militant, as people might see in the media. But generally, there is a long-running connection and relationship between the unions and the Labor Party. That's why we're talking about them, because they have a huge influence on our politicians our political system, and our country in general. So that's why we're going to have a chat about them today, and we will touch a bit more on the hand-holding between the Labor Party and the unions in a minute. But yeah, there's there's quite a spread, and we're going to have a chat in a minute to the person who is in charge of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, which is the body that represents all the unions in Australia. Yeah, we've got the Secretary of the ACTU, Sally McManus jumping on to give us a rundown of the unions. So, yeah, we will be talking to her in a second. But before that, it's worth doing a little bit of background on how these unions work. As we mentioned, obviously, there's all different unions run by different people all over the country and all over the world as well. But a loose definition of a trade union or a labor union is an organization of workers who've come together to achieve common goals, such as protecting their trade improving safety standards, attaining better wages or benefits like holiday leave and sick leave, and improving or maintaining working conditions. That's the definition there. And they do this through the increased bargaining power wielded by coming together as a group, really. So I think like the big thing here is coming together to bargain as a collective. So an example could be if you are working at your local supermarket and the boss decides to reduce the break time in your shifts, He might cut it down from half an hour to 20 minutes in your eight-hour shift, which is a bit of a dog move there. But, yeah, if you find just by yourself going, come on, mate, you know, give me a decent break. If you don't, I'm going to walk off the job. Fair chance he goes, good on you, champion. Off you go. I'll just hire one of your co-workers' mates or your little cousin from school. 
But yeah, if if 12 or 14, say, employees go, hey, actually, we want our proper breaks or we're walking, it's not as easy for the boss to tell you to take a hike. So that's pretty much the premise of having workers come together as a collective or a union. Yeah, it's like workplace peer pressure, but without having to drink excessively or do something irresponsible. And they're organised at different levels, these unions. Some might have different structures, but generally, you've got your members at a workplace. And the members pay their fees to the union and the union represents them. Yeah, at a local level, they kind of elect a delegate or someone who goes and speaks with the other delegates and union bosses about strategies and issues and things that they need to get across. And then you've got their head office, which organises strikes, action and so on, the bigger, bigger overarching kind of bodies. Yeah, and you've probably seen uh, the nurses' strike that happens in New South Wales. Yeah, and the train driver lockdown recently as well, even though they actually weren't shutting down the network, but it's a whole other issue. So generally that's kind of the structure that these unions are supposed to operate under. Now, the union movement as a whole has a pretty long history all over the world really, but here in Australia... The movement was born from convicts organising to strike, protest and rebel against colonial authorities. Eventually, over time, individual unions began amongst the working class and they got established for their entire industries, shearers, wharf workers, miners and so on. By 1860, there were trade councils in capital cities and most regional centres across the country and they were pushing for things like an end to child labour, free education and a 40-hour working week uh, because it used to be a lot lot longer. Yeah, yeah. Most workers here got a fair while before the rest of the world, uh, doing that through strikes, marches, bargaining, etc. Yeah, heaps of the working conditions plenty of people have today actually come from the early work of the unions. You know, There's a lot of people out there who are pretty quick to say, I want my overtime or I'm done for the week or I'm done for the day. So that is something that we can thank the unions for. And the unions became hugely powerful bodies from the late 1800s or so here in Australia. And they, understandably, they were quite aligned with the Australian Labor Party once it formed. Labor Party tradition actually says that their party was founded as a result of shearers and pastoral worker strikes out under the tree of knowledge up the road in Barcaldon, Western Queensland. Barcaldon, the garden city of the West, Obviously, that's a questionable claim if you visit our botanic gardens, but anyway. So there's a long history and connection between the Labor Party and the unions. Hence, while you'll often hear people on the more right-wing side of politics claiming the Labor Party is run by the unions. Fun fact that people might not know of and doesn't really get talked about, uh, but one of the union's major policies in the 20th century would have almost certainly seen them get cancelled in today's day and age yeah absolutely hashtag cancelled twitter would have had a field day they were not (laughs) fans of chinese and asian immigration and were actually key in making the white australia policy a thing claimed it was undercutting quotation marks australian workers wages yeah we don't really hear much about that for some reason um (laughs) that was something the labor party was a big supporter of as well and as we mentioned before they're long-running bffs yeah, yeah. Generally, the narrative in the media is that the unions walk the Labor Party. I mean, from an overarching basic perspective, when you think about it, the unions are supposed to represent working Australians and the Labor Party is also supposed to represent the majority of working class Australians. So it does kind of make sense that they have a relationship, I would have thought anyway. But what we hear about is that they can be a little too intertwined with each other, that the unions have too much influence inside the Labor Party in terms of the actual structure and makeup of powerful representatives. 
i.e. influencing who the party selects as candidates and who the party selects as a leader. Um, And one example, we were a bit young and it was just a bit of a laugh at the time, but the unions reportedly played a huge role in the knifing of Kevin Rudd. Yeah, it was reported quite widely that behind closed doors the unions had switched allegiances to Julia Gillard and that was responsible for Kevin Rudd getting booted out. There was a fair bit more going on um, and that's a separate episode during the Labor Party. But yeah, the Labor Party has had a lot of notable union figures as their heads. Bob Hawke, he is the former Labor Party Prime Minister and noted beer uh, enthusiast. He was actually the ACTU president before becoming the PM and the incredibly popular Bill Shorten was the National Secretary of the Australian Workers Union Uh, before he moved into politics. So the unions are heavy hitters inside the Labor Party, really, no matter what anyone says. Affiliated unions account for 50% of the delegates at federal and state party conferences that determine policy. Conferences being where the party just comes together and they talk about what's going on, make plans for the year and so on. And so 50% of the people there are from the unions, so they have a huge say in what the Labor Party actually puts forward as policy. Yes, and they're pretty crucial in campaigning ahead of elections as well. The ACTU, uh, the big boss daddy union, spent $10.7 million in the 2017-18 financial year on campaigning. Most of that was on TV ads for their Change the Rules campaign, which was about updating general employment rules and so on. Yeah, so a fair bit of money outlaid there, and they'll be going hard again this election. For example, they've signalled that they're going to campaign hard on Clive Palmer's record as a boss in a bid to urge people to not support the United Australia Party election. Just simply, just don't vote for Clive, I think, is what they're going to do. And they're going to spend a fair bit of money trying to convince people to do that. There'll obviously be other stuff they're campaigning on um, ahead of the election, free rats, workplace relations, so on and so on. And for reference, that $10.7 million figure that you just mentioned, Effie, obviously a high number, but... Clive Palmer, for example, donated $84 bucks to his own campaign before the last federal election. Wow. So just putting that into perspective, a bit of money gets spent on these things. Yeah, we'll have to uh, see how hard they all go this time around. But you'd assume it will be just as much as last time. Now, that's a bit of a rundown. Obviously, there's so much to how they work, the history, their relationship with Labor. But we don't have a Joe Rogan amount of time to run through. Uh, So I just wanted to finally discuss one important thing before we talk to Sally McManus. And I think this is an important one when you think about what the unions have achieved and how much power they held and now hold. So in 1952, 63% of the workforce had a union membership. That fell to 40% by 1990 and has now fallen to 14%, which is one of the things we're going to talk to Sally about. Why have we gone from being a nation where well over half of the workforce is a union member to getting close to less than 10%? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So it is now time to get our guest on Decode today. She is Sally McManus, the Secretary of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the overarching body for unions in this country. Sally McManus, thanks very much for joining us. G'day, guys. It's great to be here and really happy to be on this podcast. Yeah, great to have you on. Now, the unions have been around for a long, long, long time. I mean, they're older than a lot of our political parties and institutions. They've had quite an influence on every Australian's lives, even though a lot of younger people may not know that or there might be people who aren't quite aware of that. But for someone who has two parents who work in an office or they might only vaguely know about the teachers' union or the nurses' union... In your words, what are the unions and why would you say they exist? 
Well, unions in Australia started on the first fleet. Convicts on the first fleet started organising, which basically means everyone getting together and all deciding they're going to act as one um, to demand uh, better rights. And so it all kicked off pretty much there. And then what happened is a whole lot of uh, people were shipped to Australia that were also, you know, freedom fighters, fighters for rights back in, you know, England and Ireland. And so they, they ended up here too. And a whole lot of, in the early days of European colonisation, there was um, some, you know, big revolts, like the convicts um, started demanding freedom. There was marches, there was all sorts of things. Then later on, after that, there was what was known as the Eureka Stockade, which was one of the first big pushes for basically the right to vote, so equality in, before the law. And so when workers came to Australia, and obviously we're not talking about, you know, the oldest, um, you know, continuous culture, uh, First Nations people were here before, there was nothing. Workers had no rights whatsoever. So over a period of time, over the 200 and plus years, working people have just built up everything. So um, everything from just basic um, minimum wages to safety rights to all the way through to things like uh, maternity leave, like every single right that you've got at work is there because working people before you in unions had to fight really hard for it, really, really hard. So, you know, the idea of unions is just basically, it's best to strip it back, it's just working people deciding that they're going to unite and stick together and that's how they get their power. And whether that be in like one workplace to make one workplace better, or it better for like a whole lot of different workers, like teachers or nurses, or make it better for every worker. It's it's the same idea. So we didn't just magically get an eight-hour working day or things like annual leave? Well, didn't fall from the sky, that's for sure. And secondly, the employers didn't just say one day, oh, guess what, um, we're going to give you a pay rise or we're going to give you, uh, you no longer have to work on the weekends People had to go on strike. They had to have protests. They've made big sacrifices to win all of those things. Um, you know, all of that came through basically us trying to even up the power by being in unions. And so that's just a body of people coming together as a collective to have a greater bargaining power against bosses and industries and that sort of stuff. Well, if you think about it in a simple way, uh, if you if you let's just say you want a pay rise and you, you go by yourself to your boss and you say I want a pay rise and they say well no you're not getting it, pretty easy to say that to one person. But if every single worker fronts up to the boss's door and says well we all want a pay rise and we're going to stick together and we're not going to cooperate if we don't get that pay rise you're basically totally changing the power dynamic and that's how pay rises and all those things come about because the employer realises that they can afford to do that to one person but they can't afford to do that to their to their whole workforce. Yeah, so working with the power of numbers there. And moving on now to the way the ACTU actually functions, how would you describe that as being the kind of overarching body for the different all the different unions we've got in Australia? Yeah, so every union in Australia decides, like democratically decides, that they want to affiliate to the ACTU and then we're like the union for the unions. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. In other words, like, or the peak body or whatever you want to call it. So 
my board of management, so so my board who runs the ACTU are the leaders of every union. So that will be everything from electricians to nurses to teachers to community workers to bus drivers. So, you know, a group of, you know, around 30 union leaders. And so then we speak on behalf of all unions when, 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 we, when we talk. Okay, and obviously at a political level and a um, more national level, you guys have that collective larger voice? Yeah, so I guess it's just applying the principles of unionism, like it's sticking together and you're stronger when you're together. And so that's right, when the ACTU speaks, um, because we're speaking on behalf of all unions, it gives us a, a strong voice, a strong, strong power to put across what we're saying because people know that it's backed in by by all those different unions. Yeah, okay. You mentioned there at the start all of the things that the unions have been responsible for in terms of um, working conditions, the eight-hour working day, paid leave, um, equal rates uh, for men and women, etc., all that sort of stuff. In 1952, 63% of the workforce had a union membership, and then by 1992, that got to around 40%, and now it's declined to the point where we're at now, where it's roughly 15% of the workforce is unionised. What would you attribute that decline in membership to? Well, we used to have laws that encouraged union membership. So, for example, there was laws that said that if you did certain work that you had to be a union member or in order to get promoted, you know, the first people who got a choice of promotion were union members and all of this was in in laws, so awards we call them so um, in, in Australia, so basically minimum laws for different industries. And then this bloke called John Howard came along and took all of that away. Before then, um, union membership had started to decline as well and that was really for two big reasons um, one is is the economy uh, changed massively so used to be in our country that we would have big factories and big workplaces and that's all changed and now it's much smaller workplaces and more service sector so those places um, are much harder uh, to, to get that same power you would in, in like one big factory but the biggest influence has been uh, those changes to laws that instead of encouraging union membership um, have made it really hard to exercise collective power. The other factor in all of that too is uh, changes to the type of work that, that we get. So mm. back in the day, like our grandparents' day, people would have like one permanent job for life and yeah. that's very, very different to it is what it's like today and so many people in insecure work um, they're less likely to be in a union because maybe they're not going to stay in that job or their boss has got more power to, to just be unreasonable if, if they want, like just to leave them off a roster. And so it makes it much harder um, for people in insecure work. Yeah, okay. So there's a lot of those people that are kind of jumping around to a job every six months or a year or whatever, that it's harder to get a hold of them and get them involved in union membership. Um, another thing we wanted to ask you about was particularly in the media and particularly on a certain side of politics, there can be a fair bit of um, flack thrown the union's way. 
and that can kind of lead to a negative perception in the eyes of you know people that uh, our prime minister would call quiet Australians. You know the terms like anti-business and bullies and louts and all that kind of stuff that gets thrown your way. Why do you think that is such an easy button for people in the media and politics to press? Well, the number one thing is is that unions are taking on the rich and the powerful like that's yeah. what we do it's not like if we decided not to do that then we wouldn't be doing our job every day so there's a big vested interest in um employers big companies in our country uh, not having unions exist and they don't want workers you know to think that we're wonderful and to join us because it's going to affect their bottom line because unions cause pay increases. So for them, part of their overall thinking is is that we, 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 we want to keep our costs low and cut them if we can. And what's standing in the way of that? Well, unions. So, you know, it's never going to change. And it's funny because I talked to, you know, people who used to do my job. You know, I've got like probably about four previous ACTU secretaries who are still alive. You know, they all say the same thing, like, it doesn't matter like what you do, like if you tried to pretend to be Bambi or, you know, you know it's popularity contests, like you wouldn't be doing your job. And so it's inevitable for us that that's going to happen. Like they're going to attack us regardless. Mm. Um, having said that, uh, I think the other thing is, is that there's been a big change in, in the makeup of unions. And for about five years ago, uh, it ticked over to women being the majority of union members. Out of all the union members, it's like now 53% are women. And your average union member is a nurse and she's 46 years old. Now you yeah, don't, right. maybe you do now seeing the pandemic that that's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but before then, you know, they'd be showing some bloke in, uh, yeah, some overweight bloke on a building site, you know, and that's not the average union member. Yeah, that's the perception that some people might have. A guy with a couple of sleeve tattoos, overweight on a building site, swearing at a um, cameraman walking up to film a strike or something like that. So that is the average union member for you guys now, a 40-something nurse, female nurse. That's right, in the public sector, actually. She probably works at like Westmead Hospital or somewhere. That's the average union member in Australia today. Yeah, spare a thought. It's been a tough couple of years, a couple of years for them. Um, so you and the Labor Party are the representatives for working class Australians. How does the relationship between unions and ALP function on like a daily basis? Yeah, so it's good to think a little bit about like the history of this. And basically what happened is um, shearers. So back, back in the day, lots of Australians were shearers and they had this huge strike in the 1890s and they, they lost and there was a whole lot of other big fights in, in railways and elsewhere. And then they realised that if we just keep having fights with individual employers and even if we win and we do better, we can't, like we're going to have to be fighting every year and all the time. In order to fix things, we need to actually change the laws. And then once the law changes, it becomes the minimum rights for everyone and we can move forward from there. So I realised that political parties at the time back then were all run by the ruling class and they said well we need to set up our own political party a workers political party called the Labor Party 
in order to get workers' rights in law. And so that's what happened, and they formed the Labor Party, that those union members um, back then. So the whole point was is that it was like this idea of the union, broader union movement, unions, and then the unions make sure that they put their politicians um, in, in power, and then what they've got to do is look after workers. And so that was the idea. And that sort of continued to be the idea. And uh, some unions are, are still affiliated, so um, like members of the Labor Party, and that, which means that they have a say over the democratic state. They have conferences and that over what their, their policies are. But not all unions. So this is another thing about the media. They'll, they'll, they'll sort of say, oh, you know, unions run the Labor Party, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, as the leader of the ACTU, nearly half of the unions that um, I represent aren't affiliated to the Labor Party. So nurses aren't, teachers aren't, public sector unions aren't. That's a lot of workers when you add all of that up. So mm. it's not so straightforward as people would like to say, but, but that's essentially the history and, and, the, and, and the way it works. And you were asking, like, how does it work on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, for the ACTU, it's we decide our um, policies, like, through big debates and with all the different unions and we decide like what we all agree on or, or there will be a vote on something and then what we will do is we'll go and advocate it or we'll go argue for it and so unions will also argue for that within the Labor Party or we'll go and um, put that position to the Labor Party they sit to you on behalf of everyone but we'll also put it to the Liberal Party we'll also put it to all the to the Greens and to everyone else too and we would probably talk more to the Labor Party than we would to, to, to the Liberal Party when they're in government, that's for sure. There's more sort of respect and understanding of that. But there's no, like, regular discussions or, like, um, like we're independent and mm. uh, we disagree as well. It's not like we're, we're the same people. We, we do disagree. So you're not picking up the phone in the morning and having a chat to Anthony Albanese or anything like that? No, I'm not. Like, he's doing his thing, I'm doing my thing. And that, you know, often it's, you know, we, we might agree, but sometimes we don't too. And there's no sort of coordination like that as much as mm. the Murdoch Press might try and, you know, <laughs> wish there was or wish there wasn't. Yeah, yeah. How does the relationship work with a Liberal government, a Liberal national government when they're in power? How do those channels of communications work between the ACTU and the government? Well, it's not right to say that every Liberal government's the same because like, there's ones around, um, you know, in state levels. And, and at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, literally we were talking to the government three times a week, like was like, crisis period and that's what was happening and they were like formal meetings where we were getting together and going okay what are we going to do about this problem or this problem you know we didn't agree with everything and they certainly didn't agree with everything we said but I think they made a lot lot better decisions because they had less blind spots JobKeeper like JobKeeper was our idea and we really pushed for it and eventually they agreed to it they didn't agree to implement it in the way we wanted to, but nevertheless, that was there because because we pushed for it. And then all of a sudden, that stopped. Probably end of probably twelve months later, and now they don't talk to us at all. So mm. there's like formal meetings they've got to do, and but yeah. they, but it's like um, ticking a box really. And I, I don't think not every Liberal government's been like that. And I think it's a real mistake, no matter what 
government like to cut out any voices and I include business in that like if, if a government got in and didn't talk to business at all they're going to make mistakes and that's why this government I think makes mistakes I don't listen to the perspective of workers if they took some of that on they wouldn't stuff as much as many things up yeah right so there was a bit of a dropping of the politics at the start of the pandemic and people coming together and trying to go like okay how can we sort this situation out how can we work best for the people and the nation but that kind of stopped over time towards where we're at now not because we wanted to stop it in fact like we still offer and ask for that to happen and especially in the last you know couple of months where it's once again been a bit of a crisis like and we week and it's very frustrating like to see the the problems and and to see that they're not listening to what could be important solutions or just making decisions and you can see that they didn't realize the impact of certain things so it's very frustrating for us why do you think that they aren't listening to solutions like surely if you're in government you would like solutions to these problems that are causing you massive headaches why do you think they aren't listening and being more receptive I think that there's some people in the government that think when they talk to business, business is, is speaking on behalf of workers as well. As weird as that sounds, I think that some people in government just think, oh, well, when I talk to this CEO, you know, he'll be saying, oh, yes, so my, my workers think this and this is what, or this is what's best for workers. And so it's always the perspective of, of those employers and I think people in the government just sort of think yeah well whatever is good for the the business is good for the workers and that's just wrong like it might be true 80% of the time but it's a 20% that you really need to be listening to mm. yeah. yeah big disconnect there couple more questions we had for you. One of them was about how different the last couple of years could have been if there wasn't a strong organised union present. Like what are some of the things that people might not have realised, say JobKeeper that you just mentioned there, what are some of the things that we might not have seen happen over the last couple of years? Well, JobKeeper's number one. In Early in the pandemic, like we could see, this is just before the first lockdown happened, we could see where we were going and we knew that a whole lot of people were going to lose their jobs and maybe not get them back and how devastating this was going to be. And so we, we were looking at overseas and what can be done, what's the best thing to be done in this circumstance and drew up a whole proposal about a wage subsidy which ended up being like labelled JobKeeper and proposed that to the government and you know they, they rejected it. They said, no, we're not going to do that. And so what we did is we didn't give up. We went and spoke to all the employers. And at first the employers were like, didn't want to touch it, were saying, oh, no, we should give them the money, not, not, not give it to workers, all this, all this stuff. But eventually they came on side and we built support too from other organisations out there too. So a big sort of united front. And so once that happened, I think the pressure just became too much for the government and that they then agreed to introduce JobKeeper. So... That just saved, uh, like literally, JobKeeper was like 3.3 million people were, and businesses and small mm. traders were affected by that pandemic leave. So at the moment, if, if you are COVID positive and you're off sick or if you're a close contact, although in recent time they've made this harder, <laughs> and you've got to stay at home and you don't have any sick leave, well, <laughs> this is a problem at the beginning of the pandemic. You've got nothing. And so we went and 
fought for it in workplaces. So union workplaces, um, employers eventually agreed to for their for their workers uh, if they have to isolate to pay them and to pay the casuals. But we just had to push to make sure everyone got it, and it took nearly six or seven months. Of the finally, like Victorian government, Queensland government, South Australian government, individually they all started coming out and supporting it, and finally the federal government did too. So, as of today, if you are in that situation, you've got no sick leave, you you get up to seven hundred fifty dollars a week, like to to cover you, mm. which you would have got nothing if it weren't for the union movement. Like the basic safety stuff, they didn't come from nowhere. Like all those laws were won by unions. And then all the time us pushing for make proper PPE in workplaces, all the basic safety stuff. There's so many meetings we're constantly doing about this. At the moment, the thing we're trying to win for everyone is free rats tests. Like we know what yeah. a huge difference that would make. We might win. We may not win, but the thing is, is like we learn, just don't give up. Like they might say Just no. keep on going. Yeah, keep on going. You know, what have we got to lose? Well, people's lives and their jobs. So it's, it's always worth fighting. Well, obviously, uh, a lot of money and effort will be spent by the unions during election campaigns. What are the biggest issues going into the election, you think? Yeah, I think that, um, first of all, some money, it depends on the union, like a whole lot of unions won't be putting any money into the election. Um, some unions will. Um, for us, we won't We don't give any money to political parties, it's about issues. And so in this election, I know that the aged care unions, it, like the fact that they have not fixed what's happened in aged care, and that really goes to paying those workers properly and proper staffing levels, that will be something that those unions will be focusing on and the reason why is because it's only the federal government that can do it and so they'll definitely be campaigning on those issues. For, for the ACTU on behalf of everyone, what we'll be focusing on is that issue of insecure work that I talked about, the fact that one in three workers don't even have sick leave in a pandemic and better rights for casuals. So having um, changes to our laws so that um, workers have better job security. Like uh, if a job is ongoing, well then you should have ongoing rights. So that can only happen if, if there's law changes too. So it's a bit like I was talking about before. Like we know that like in a whole lot of union workplaces, jobs are more secure, but unless we can win it for everyone, you've got to keep fighting it all the time. So that's why we need changes to the laws for everyone. So that'll, that, that's going to be our focus. Yep, and getting things like free rats, hopefully, over the next little while. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. So we put a whole lot of um, members' money, resources into into that. So in workplaces at the moment, union workplaces, we're making sure that they've been provided by employers. Now, finally, we can get them. But we've also put money into, into ads to us, a community, to join us, like to talk to their local MPs, to, to tell them to tell Scott Morrison to change his mind on it. So, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an important issue. There you go. Well, it'll be a big few months ahead, I'm sure. Thank you very much for jumping on today, Sally, and walking us through all those things and explaining um, explaining the unions and the union movement and how it all works to us. Very Thank informative. You. No worries. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much. That was Sally McManus.